Blog Talk Radio. There's a direct relationship between having the businesses and being in prison. Go find an, see how many Asians you can find in American prisons. You ain't going to be in there. But 51% of your prison will be black because you don't black don't have any businesses and industries. There's a direct link. Blacks won't practice group economics. Blacks won't practice group politics. If you don't practice, you're setting yourself up. I told that five-story building, you're setting yourself to get wiped out. Understand the nature of race, which is economics. If you, if you build the first floor, it's economic. Build your businesses and your industries. Control buildings and industry, and put that pools in your money. And hold that money. And, it's a, and practice group economics <clears throat> with it. Arab and Asian money bounces 12 or 13 times for at least. Jewish money bounces 18 times. Black folk got to learn how to practice group economics. Black Americans spend every penny they get outside their own community. Then you take the money and the wealth that you get from that first floor and go to the second floor. The second floor is politics. You then take that money on the first floor and you control your politics. Black folk must quit allowing people to tell them to go out and vote. Vote for what? Nobody's going to do anything for black folk in politics. Politics is controlled by money. Major corporations who got the money. That's what controls politics. If you have no money, you have no say-so, you have no benefits coming. So you take your money and you control and you take your money on the first floor, you buy every politician on the second floor. And any politician you can't buy, you rent or lease them to get what you need. Then once you get the second floor under control with the politician with your money, then you go to the third floor. The third floor is then is the police department and the court system. You take your money from the first floor and your politics on the second floor and you control the court system and the police department. Then the fourth floor, the fourth floor then is media. You then take the money that you generate off the first floor from business and industries, <clears throat> and you go after radio stations, TV stations, newspapers, and cable systems so that you can now inform and communicate with your own people. Right now, <clears throat> black folk only control less than 35 thousandths of 1% of the media in the United States. Out of 12,000 radio stations, black folk own about something like about 75 or 80. That's all. You own no cable systems. You don't have a daily newspaper. You have nothing of importance. You don't. You got about one black TV station. And you, so you can't communicate with your people. You can't inform your people. You can't do anything. You can have Rush Limbaugh and all the rest of the guys talking about racism all day long and bad-mouthing you. And O'Reilly, they can talk, call black folk all kind of names all day long. What are you going to do? You can't respond. You can't communicate with your own people because you, you don't have an economic base. 51% of all the prisoners in the United States are black people. You know, even though you only make up 12% of the population. That's no accident. It's because you don't control the economics and the politics. And they're going to go after the weakest people they can get their hands on to incarcerate them. That's the black folk. And what are you going to do in response to them when they, when they, when they over-incarcerate you? You're going to go out and have a march, a demonstration. We're going to march. March for what? Who cares? Marches they never changed anything.
5,000 years ago, a game was invented by King Ravana of Lanka, the demon king of the Hindu epic, the Ramayana. He created this game to play with his lovely wife, Mandodari. However, she turned around and promptly defeated him at his own creation. Mandodari, while known for her even temper, beauty, and brilliant mind, has since been traditionally considered the mother of this now worldwide game. Although not named in the Ramayana, this game has crossed ages and spread continents to become one of the most popular board games in the world. The game is believed to have originated in India due to the many references in Indian literature to the then unnamed game. A poem written in Sanskrit called the Vasavadatta also mentions the game. The poem tells the story of a princess falling in love with a king and provides a description of a game with chessmen on a two-toned board. The text reads, The time of the rains played its game with frogs for chessmen, which, yellow and green in color, as if modeled by lack, leapt up on the black field squares. However, the name of the game is not mentioned, but the description of the pieces is what is later identified as Chaturanga. In this original game, four players sat on four sides of the board with eight pieces each. They possessed four pawns, a horse, an elephant, and a chariot. The game was played by the roll of a dice to determine which piece could be moved. As the Persians adopted the game, the name changed to Shatrang. The game is again mentioned in the records of Ardashir, son of Papak. This text deals with Ardashir, founder of the Sassanid Empire, who died in 242 AD. Supposedly, he was quite skilled at the game, as the text reads, By the help of Providence, Ardashir became more victorious and warlike than all. On the polo in the riding ground, at Shatrang, and vine architecture, and in several other arts. This text was written around 600 in Pahlavi. As for game rules, the phrase Shahmat developed, Persian for the king is ambushed. Today, this has become the common checkmate. The game spread rapidly across Arabia with the growing Muslim empire after the death of Muhammad in 632 AD. The game, now called Shatranj, had gained importance and many documents were created discussing the best players and celebrating their skills in the empire. About 850 AD, chess books explaining the game and strategies began to be written. Also by this point, the dice had been removed due to Muslim restrictions on gambling. The pieces were transformed into non-representational figures due to misgivings about representing humans. The Moors swept across Arabia in the 8th century, spreading the game to Spain and thus introducing it to Europe. The first reference to chess in Europe appears in 1010 AD in the Catalonian Testament. Charlemagne was given a chess board by Muslim ruler Harun al-Rashid. The game reached Russia around the same time and the names of the pieces in the early Russian game clearly reflect their Persian heritage. In China and Japan, the game came to exist early through interactions along the Silk Road, a vast trading route spanning between Europe, through the Middle East, all the way to China. Several scholars even argue that the game was invented by the Chinese. However, the etymology of the name chess is strictly Indian. Modern chess in China borrows from Indian chaturanga and from the traditional Chinese game of Go and is played on the intersections of squares. In Japan, the popular game of Shogi is derived from chaturanga and traditional Japanese games. However, back in Western Europe, much confusion over the names and styles of pieces ensued. Some pieces became archers in one country and standard bearers in another, with no real consensus. By the 12th century, the pieces had begun to be set into the roles of king, queen, knight, bishop, and infantryman, 
all roles typical for the aristocracy. The game was primarily a noble pastime, as shown from the exquisitely crafted and expensive boards and pieces of the time. The artistry was certainly no longer non-representational and had developed into elaborate mini-statues. Also during this time, the traditional colors developed from black and red to black and white. Chess was very much a part of popular noble culture. The game was valued for its intellectual aspect and became a part of court life. In fact, in Peter Alfonsi's Disciplina Clericalis, chess was listed as one of the seven skills a knight should possess. Many of the kings of England, such as Henry I, were patrons of the game. It was mentioned in books, rule books, and even featured in art, as chess motifs appeared on tombs and pendants of the time. Queen Margaret of England had a famous green and red chess set counted among the royal treasures. Between 1475 and 1500 AD, some changes were made in the European game. The checkerboard was introduced into play and the rules for the pieces' movements were changed. The queen was introduced as a female piece and became the most powerful piece in the game, cutting the playtime in half. The formerly weak bishop also developed unlimited moves. In the 18th century, François-André Danican Philidor of France wrote the first book dealing entirely with the strategies of chess. L'analyse des échecs, the analysis of chess. In the 19th century, chess organizations and clubs began to appear, and the game achieved the moves and physical appearance that we now know. The first modern chess tournament was held in 1851. There then began many such tournaments, with the world champion being held in much prestige. Much of the history after this becomes a series of winners and prodigies, holding titles and winning tournaments. Often, we don't think about the origins of something that is internationally accepted as popular. But when we really delve deep into the past of something, such as chess, one of the most popular games today, a heritage can be discovered. From the supposedly uncivilized world of India developed a game that would cross continents and become a modern pastime for all to enjoy. How many games of chess are there? So there is a popular fact that the number of games of chess is greater than the number of atoms there are in the observable universe. This is the fact. Is it true? Well, the number of games of chess is known as Shannon's number. So let's find out what is Shannon's number and how it was worked out. Claude Shannon. He, in the 1950s, he wrote a paper, How to Program a Computer to Play Chess. It was about how to program a computer to play chess. And in that paper, he came up with an estimate for how many games of chess there are. So it is only an estimate. So he estimated that the number of games of chess would be 10 to the power, round about 10 to the power 120, which is, well, just massive. It's billions and trillions of Googles. It's so massive. That's a huge number. If we compare that with atoms in the observable universe, there's about 10 to the 80 uh, atoms in the observable universe. So there are more games of chess. You could assign 
billions of games of chess for each atom in the universe. How did he come up with this massive figure? So what he decided was, well, he looked at some games of chess and he said, well, on average, at any position, there are about 30 legal moves that you can make. So the first player would have 30 legal moves he could make. And if you do two moves, that's the first player, then the second player, then that would be for each move by the first player, the second player would have 30. So if it was only two moves, it'd be 30 by 30. So that'd be 900 already, just with two moves. Some terminology here, when I'm saying moves, I actually mean what is called a ply. Uh, that means the play, one player goes first, then the second player goes next, then the next player. So in chess terminology, a move is the white player, then the black player. So another move would be a white player again, the black player again. But we're just going to say moves to be each player takes a move. It's actually called a ply uh, in chess terminology. So if the first player has 30 legal moves he can make, then for each move, the second player has another 30 legal moves he can make. So with just two moves, there are 900 uh, moves you can make altogether. If it was three moves, it would be 30 by 30 by 30. If it was four moves, it would be 30 by 30 by 30 by 30. Shannon said, well, a game is about 40 moves. Ah, that was in chess terminology. So he means 80 plays. So this is all Shannon did. He said, a game is about 30 legal moves, 80 plays, and that is around about 10 to the 120. Well, that is the most wishy-washy... Yeah. It was only in passing, it was only an estimate, it was only a paragraph of the paper, and he, he did this rough estimate, this rough number, to show that if you had a computer and it was trying to work out then the future of the game and trying to work out all the legal moves and where this game was going to go so that he could make decisions of how to play next, then the computer would never make a move. It was, if it was calculating one game per microsecond, it would be until the end of the universe. It would never play. This was the point Shannon was trying to make with his rough estimates. So we're going to have a look at the sequence of games there are uh, when each player takes their turn. So the first move is by white. So let's take the first move. And white has 20 legal moves. So we've got, uh, we've got one here for each pawn. We've got, so that's eight. Uh, we've got the double move there by each pawn. So we've got 16. We've got two moves there for each knight. Two moves on this side here and here. And that's 20. So 20 moves for the first player. Now black takes the next turn. And for the next turn, well, he can respond with the same 20 moves. So for each move player one takes, black can take a 20 moves. So you multiply, it's 20 by 20. There are now 400 games that could have happened already. With just two moves, there are already 400 games that could have happened. Let's see what happens next. Then suddenly, it becomes much more complicated. When white plays next, it becomes 8,902 moves. Suddenly, poof, 
8,000, well, nearly 9,000 games that you can play with just three plays. This sounds a lot more precise than what Shannon was doing. This is real numbers. Yeah, these are real numbers. With these small numbers, we can work this out. So far, so good. It's going to get harder with larger numbers. So let's write out a few more. The next move is black, and he'll have 197,742. So after black moves again, we now have 197,742 possible games that could have been played. All the possible games we could have done in those four moves is already 200,000. This is crazy. It's huge numbers already, huge numbers. Although you are able to know exactly what the number is, so it just seems like if you spend enough time on this, you'll be so able to... So, okay, we can keep going, can't we? So we can keep going, and these numbers are going to get bigger and bigger. Now, in theory, the total number, the largest number, the longest chess game, can be something around 11,800 of these plies. 11,800. Uh, and that's invoking, though. You have to invoke the 50-move rule, because you could just go on forever if you just ended up with two kings just going backwards and forwards. A game could last forever. So there is a rule that stops a game lasting forever that says, well, if you've played 50 moves with nothing being captured and you're just messing about... Or, then it's, or a pawn being moved, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, a pawn hasn't moved, something hasn't been captured, or you repeat the board three times. Uh, if that happens, then you call it a draw. So there's a cut-off point. Now, some people have worked out what the longest possible chess game is. It's something around 11,800. There's some disagreement, not much disagreement though, within a hundred or so of that. So if you see how fast this sequence is growing, can you imagine how many games there are all together? Especially when you're going all the way up to what, nearly 12,000 moves. Some of those games will be nonsense games where you, you can win, you've only got one move left and you can win in one move, but you don't. You just you start moving other pieces and you start doing other things. It becomes a massively complex tree of possibilities. And that's why this number is just going off to huge numbers. Uh, Godfrey Hardy, a famous 20th century mathematician, he tried to estimate the number of chess games there were. His estimate was 10 to the power, uh, 10 to the power to the power of 50. Let me say that again. It was 10 to the power, 10 to the power 50. This, this is minuscule when you compare it with what uh, Hardy's estimate was. What Shannon was doing was saying, this is a 40 move game, where he, the average number of moves is 30. So he was saying that the, if there were 80 plays, that's what he's saying, He's saying this is about 10 to the power 120. That's what Shannon is saying. So he's not even not considering all these other games. So it was Godfrey Hardy, uh, the, the famous 20th century mathematician, worked at Cambridge, discovered Ramanujan. Uh, he tried to estimate how many games of chess there were. It was actually when he was writing about Ramanujan, because Ramanujan had sent him a paper which had a large number in it. He said, just to understand how big this number is, if you compare it to the number of games of chess, I reckon that's 10 to the power, 10 to the power 50. 
Was Hardy close? I don't know. He didn't give any working out for this. This was in passing. I did say a lot of these would be nonsense games. Let's try some sensible uh, estimates. If it was, let's say, if each player had an average of three sensible moves instead of 30 legal moves. Same sort of idea. If we did that, so instead of 30 to the power 80, uh, it would be, say, 3 to the power 80. Does that seem more reasonable? Yeah? So if that's 3 to the power 80, I can tell you that's round about uh, 10 to the 40. So now not as large as the number of atoms in the observable universe, still, still very large though, 10 to the 40. If, for example, everyone in the world paired off and they had to play a game of chess every day and it had to be a different game every day and they did that to play all possible games, this 10 to the 40 sensible games, it would still take you trillions and trillions of years to play them all. Or if you think about it another way, we consider all games of chess that have ever been played in history, then that is only a tiny fraction of all the possible games of chess that are to play. I can't think of a better supporter for a video about chess than a company called Squarespace. Now if you want a presence on the web, whether it's a blog, a business, or just a cool way to tell the world about what you're doing, then Squarespace is a super resource. I host my own blog on Squarespace. This video shows you how to play the ancient form of chess known as Shatranj, the kind of chess that was played all over the world, or many places of the world, before the chess that we play today came to be so popular. Hello, my name's Rick. Hi. And you can get this booklet for free on my website, ancientchess.com. Tells you all about the rules I'm going to explain to you today. Here they are in black and white. Very nice booklet. Print it out yourself. Let's look at this game now. This game existed for about a thousand years before the chess that we play today. So this is a real long time-honored game. It swept much of the civilized world in those days, some of the uncivilized world, as our chess does nowadays. You'll see that it's very similar, but with some interesting differences. The pawns, for instance, moved just like ours, but only one space at a time. None of this two-pawn leap like we have nowadays. This is a slower starting game, okay? Pawns move more slowly. Um, you've got the rook. In those days, it was usually a chariot, although in some places it was a boat. It still is a boat in Russia, by the way, and in Thailand. It was, it was a chariot, generally, and it moved just like the rook we have today, no surprises. This little guy, strangely enough, is a knight. It's a horse head, as our knight is, but it's abstracted in this way. Moved just like our knight does. You didn't have the benefit of the checkered board, which we have nowadays. That was a European innovation that caught on very well once chess got to Europe. But most places in the world, chess boards were never checkered. Now this guy's a little different. This is an elephant. Elephants, those are abstractions of tusks, by the way. I don't know what you were thinking they were, but they're tusks.
tusks. Unlike our bishop, the elephant moved two spaces diagonally and actually he jumped over the place in between, the fellow in between. That's your elephant. Incidentally, this guy can only go to eight spaces on the entire board. Only eight out of 64 squares. That's one-eighth of the board a guy like this can cover. It's not too strong of a piece, but it can be sneaky. He can just be lurking out there on the side and then suddenly jump in and exert his limited power. Now, this is the king. This is actually an abstraction of what was once an elephant with a howdah. That's one of those carriages on top of an elephant and uh, the king riding in it. But this is what they look like generally. Often there was a bump on top there indicating the guy riding in it, but this one has a notch, small difference. He moves one space in each direction. Now the queen is very different. She only moved one space diagonally. Before chess came to Europe, that was not a queen, that was a counselor. There's no point in a woman being on a battlefield in those days. Of course there is now. But one space diagonally, very small, weak move. Basically, she just, or he, defended the king. Okay, so this game just progresses very slowly. People use a lot more time planning their setup. You don't have this immediate invading bishops and queens stuff we, like we have in our modern chess. Let's see, a few small differences before you're ready to play this game. One thing is, if the king is left bare with no other pieces, you capture all his pieces but one, he's lost. You don't have to checkmate him. He's done. Game's over. Another thing, if you have him in stalemate, and he's got some pieces on the board, well, whatever, a pawn that can't move. You got him in stalemate. So what's a stalemate in this game? Yeah, that would be a stalemate. He's lost there, too. Because you don't have to have him in check like we do, you know, stalemate is a win for the aggressing player. Um, anything else about this game? That's mostly it. There are a few regional variations. Uh, they did not have castling like we have today. Some of them had a, some other sort of castling like the king making a knight's move early in the game. Um, but just the basic game itself does not have any kind of castling. And. Uh, that's all you need to know, really, to get playing this game. Once again, ancientchess.com will give you a booklet on this if you want it. And thanks for watching. Check out some more of my